0: So continuing with our series of the anatomy of the soul so we said that the root of the soul according to the teaching of the Baal Shem Toh, in which all Hasidic thought follows is based on a verse from Job that the soul is a chalak me'elokam mima'al an actual part of God above This is the root of the soul, and it says in the Zohar that when God blew the what's called the nishmat chayim, the soul of life into Adam, so the commentary is that when someone blows, they blow from their very inside. Like, now we're blowing the shofar. So to blow the shofar, you have to take from the very depths of your breath, especially Takiyah Gadola, you have to take from your very inside and blow outwards. And so that becomes the analogy that when God blew the soul of life into Adam, it was from the very essence, the very inside of God as it were so that's what's called the root of the soul and the root of the soul is an inverse iceberg where in this world the mass of the iceberg is below and hidden and only a little bit is revealed above the soul is the exact inverse where the vast majority of our souls are actually rooted above and the part of the soul that is in the body is actually just really a little bit of the soul. The greater the shama, the greater the soul, the more of the soul is coming down into the body. But so we all start with just a little bit of the soul below and the vast majority is above and through learning through davening through living a life of what's called kedusha and tahara holiness and purity doing good deeds doing mitzvot little by little we reveal and draw down our root soul into us and then we see that the soul is divided into powers and garments. And we explain that the powers of the soul are really above what we usually think of the powers of the soul. Here, the garments, which are thought, speech, and action, is what many people think the soul is. Many people think the soul is our mind, our thoughts, our intellect, our speech, and our actions. But the way we're learning it is, it's not that it's not part of the soul, but it's really the garment of the soul. It's the vehicle through which the soul expresses itself. The soul is much higher and deeper than even thought. It's way beyond thought thought becomes the first stage of being a garment for the soul so these powers are divided into transcendent and imminent and this is very very similar to what we learn about the powers of God since the soul is an actual part of God above and since we learn explicitly in the Torah that, that man is created in the image and likeness of God so we don't mean a physical image and likeness. So it must relate to the soul. In other words, the powers of the soul is what is created in the image and likeness of God. And therefore, just as God has a transcendent nature, we'll call it, and an imminent nature, which means, in, in Kabbalah, these terms are Sovev kol olamin, which means surrounds all worlds, and Malay kol olamin, and who fills all worlds. So the expression Sovev kol olamin, surrounds all worlds, this is the transcendent nature of God. And that part, can't even say part, but that's, essence of God that is revealed in the world that is imminent this is called fills all worlds and it's the same with the soul there is a transcendent part of the soul this is the part of the soul that we're saying that the vast majority is is rooted above that which fills all worlds in relationship to the soul is the part of the soul that fills the body and of course we're told that we're that these two aspects of transcendent and imminent ultimately are one. That's what we say in the Shema. Hero O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. But the words are there are two names of God here. Yudke and Elohim. And so Yud vav is thought of as being more transcendent and Elohim is thought of as being more imminent but the end of the verse says Hashem Echad God is one so the, the name Yud Kei Vav does not remain as totally transcendent it also is imminent in the world transcendence and imminence are are united they are actually one right so one of the expressions is in Kabbalah it's called Mati the Lomati he's found but he's not found he's there but he's not there very paradoxical Mm -hmm. or he is the place of the world but the world is not his place so he is the place of the world is the imminent aspect of God but the world is not his place is the transcendent so the ten spherodes manifest on three different levels the ten spherode the ten divine emanations of God are manifestations of the essence and presence of God But the same ten sirot is a description of the soul qualities of a human being. And thirdly, the sirot are the the garments of these ten divine aspects as they manifest in the world. This idea of powers and garments really works from the divine, to the soul, to the world it's manifest in all the different all the different levels so now we can take what we've learned and apply it to the first sentence of the Torah it says because if we look here we're saying there's the root and the root divides between powers and garments so in the first sentence, we already have the model. And the model is, it says, God created. This is the essence. This is what's called the root of, here it's the root of the energy in the world. Or the root of the soul. Heaven, Shemaim, represents essence. And Earth represents form as we're bringing in two new concepts here that the powers of the soul is what we will call the essence of the soul and the garments of the soul is what we call the form in which the essence fits in or fills so you've heard these sometimes in relationship to art or philosophy the idea of essence and form so this goes along very 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 well with a word that is considered the most mysterious word in the entire Tanakh, which is called chashmal, which in modern Hebrew means electricity. And it comes from the vision of Ezekiel. And part of his vision of the chariot, and he saw many different levels and dimensions, but he described seeing an energy or a color called chashmal. It appears from the simple meaning that it's a type of color, but it really means an energy. We can relate this to light, where on the spectrum, the electromagnetic spectrum, so light, depending on the wave and the frequency, will become a color. According to how you change the frequency, that will change the color. But here Ezekiel was seeing pure energy. And the word Hushmal Hush means silent and Mal means speaking. So it's explained that this word represents exactly what we just talked about. That Hush represents the silent essence of the soul and Mal represents the speaking garments of the soul. That the silence learns to speak and express itself and what's very very interesting is this relates also to Adam and Eve Adam and Chava because Adam one of the roots of the word Adam is Dam which is blood but when most people don't relate to it the same root dal and Mem also means dome, Sinus and it comes in when when Aaron learns of the deaths of his two sons it says Vayidom Aaron. Aaron was silent and yet the word Adam comes from the word silence Chava in Hebrew the root of, of Eve Chava means experience so it's explained that the relationship between Adam and Eve Adam and Chava is the same relationship between Chash and Mal, where, in symbolic terms, Adam represents essence, and Chava, Eve, represents form, experience, the garment of the soul. And that's why, in the Gomorrah, a woman is called the house, meaning that the bait the house, the form of the, let's say, the energy of the relationship and the family is really created by the woman. She creates the form and Adam represents the essence or the energy. And so therefore, essence without form is really sterile. Just like biologically, we could say the same thing. In other words, a sperm without seed, without an egg, is still. And so therefore, these, the story of Adam and, and Chava, Adam and Eve, when understood on a higher level, is talking about everyone's soul. Now remember, the when we're talking here about masculine and feminine, we're not really talking about Male and female bodies. We're talking about energy because every woman has essence as well as form, and every man has form as well as essence. But we're just talking about, let's call it the predominant nature of these two energies. So now we're going to go farther into the anatomy of the soul, and we're going to look at the transcendent powers of the soul, the imminent powers of the soul, and the beginning ideas of the garments of the soul. And hopefully everyone can can follow here. So in the transcendent powers of the soul, there are two concepts here, and there's really a hidden third. This is what's called the superconscious level of the soul. And in relationship to the spherot, it's keter, the crown. Now, just like a crown sits on a head, and the head symbolizes intellect, so the crown on the head, like a kippah or a tichel, right, represents something above the head that's hovering on the head. It's not the head itself, but it's obviously imminently connected, it's resting on, it's hovering on. So we're told that that's the relationship between the super-conscious or the transcendent levels of the soul and the imminent levels of the soul. Just like we said, God is one. God's imminent and transcendent levels are ultimately unified. Well, the same thing with the human being. We have transcendent parts of the soul, but ultimately they're meant to be totally unified with the immanent powers of the soul. The, I don't know if we'll call it a problem, let's call it a challenge, is since the great majority of the soul that, that is still rooted above is the transcendent part of the soul, many, many, many people rarely, if ever, truly grasp or touch the transcendent powers of the soul. It's just it's just the way the way it is. In other words, if someone is living this world and is ruled by their lower nature, what we'll call their animal nature. And as we've learned before, it doesn't matter how intelligent we are, how clever we are, how much money we have, but if our decision making process is driven by our animal nature, we're not really touching the transcendent level of our soul at all. So that's what it says in Shir Shirim. One of the explanations are, is the um, I am asleep, but my heart is awake. Meaning there's a part of my soul that is t- totally asleep, but the Jewish neshama, the heart is awake, wanting to grasp it but it's asleep. And therefore, as we said before, through learning, through meditating, <coughs> through davening, through doing mitzvot, through dedicating one, one's life to a, a spiritual path, one, little by little, learns how to connect to the transcendent level of their soul. And so therefore, in capture there are what are called three levels. Two appear here, and there's one that I'll mention now, but it's actually even, even above this. So here it's super conscious pleasure and super conscious will. And above this is what's called pure faith. Not blind faith. Very important to state that. Not blind faith. But here, a Muna, faith meaning the very essence of everything that we know to be true is actually faith. We see a beautiful allusion to this in the Shema. Because we call the Shema the central statement of faith in Judaism. That God is one. Hear, o Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And yet, in the Shema, there are two letters written big the Ayin of Shema and the Dalad of Echad and that spells Ed which means witness telling us that the the mission of the Jewish people is to be a witness to the world that God is one and that has been our mission since Avram, unbroken mission unbroken line of tradition that that is what the mission of the Jewish people is But if you take the word ed, and you switch it around, you get da, which means to know. Now on the surface, this sounds a little bit oxymoronic, because usually we think of faith. What does faith have to do with knowledge? Faith is what I believe, but not in Judaism. In Judaism, faith is based on knowledge. That's why these two letters are big there to tell us it's not it's not enough to believe that God is one. We have to know it. We have to know it in every fiber of our being. So on the highest level of the transcendent powers of the soul, but here it's not even written because it's so ethereal. That in, in Kabbalah, it's called the head that doesn't even know itself. Let's, it's the same thing. Let's say a person accomplishes something. Something amazing. And they'll say, I, I had no idea I had this in me. Or I had no idea that I, I had this this talent or this ability. And the truth is until then you didn't know. You didn't know. That's what's called a moon in the side. It's so hidden you don't even know that you have it. But it doesn't mean that it's not there. It's again so very called the mean. It surrounds the soul. But we're not necessarily aware that it's there. Until we can access it. And then we access it then it's like ah now I understand but here we'll start from super conscious pleasure in Hebrew is Oneg and what's interesting is we mentioned in the first class that animals are wired for two things pleasure and survival which is very close to the two highest levels of the soul here which is Superconscious pleasure in will. So what this is telling us in a very, very deep way is that even on the lowest level, pleasure and survival are ultimately connected to the highest level. To the highest level. And one example of this is what we call Oneg Shabbos. Pleasure of Shabbos so sh- here we, we mean the spiritual pleasure of Shabbos Oneg Shabbos but what's paradoxical most of us and this is not incorrect relate to Oneg Shabbos with many of the physical delights of Shabbos the eating the, the good wine a, a good shloof on Shabbos going for that slow nice walk in other words the the physical pleasures of Shabbos is also called Oneg Shabbos but this tells us that they're connected but if the transcendent level of the soul is not connected to the lower part of the soul then the lower pleasures take over and we're not really connected to the fact that there's a spiritual pleasure here So we can all tell a little bit between the way we eat during the week and the way we eat on Shabbos. During the week we enjoy the food and we say brachas, we say blessings and we know that it's a a spiritual act but it doesn't really, really penetrate. But when you're sitting at this Shabbos table and challah and wine and singing Zmirot and saying every few bites, La Shabbos, Koidash for the honor of the holy Shabbos. So the food turns into divine pleasure, onik Shabbos. But on, on, on a deeper level, the pleasure that we're talking about here in the transcendent level of the soul is the pleasure that the soul gets from its proximity to the divine. This is the real definition of pleasure in the transcendent level of the soul. Because since the soul is an actual part of God above, it gets infinite pleasure from being close to God. And therefore, when one does not feel that, one becomes existentially frustrated. And that's why in a very deep level why so many Jews wander off into different religions and different uh, sects and S-E-C-T-S and different spiritual paths because they couldn't find it in Judaism for whatever reason they couldn't find it but the soul is still thirsty the transcendent level of, 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 the, of the Jewish soul longs to be close to God and if they can't find it in Torah then they'll look somewhere else and if they can't find it spiritually they will plunge into physical material pleasures because they're connected so if a soul cannot find spiritual pleasure it will seek out pleasure any other way it can get it pleasure is divided into simple pleasure and structured pleasure so the simple pleasure is what we just described the simple desire and pleasure to be one with God and we can experience this in meditation in music in nature in prayer in doing good deeds in introspection and in, in art Many, many, many different vehicles in which our soul can connect to the divine spark that is in the soul. That's the divine pleasure. The structured pleasure is that pleasure that we get through the the prism of this world. But it still can be rooted in, in spiritual pleasure. It's only if we let it descend and be taken over by the animal soul that it becomes somewhat uh, degraded. But we're, we're told that we can take all the physical pleasures of this world and uplift them and experience the divine and godliness in them. Here we are. We're sitting around the table for hours and eating and eating and eating and eating. But if we do it in the correct way, it's a spiritual experience. It is physical, but we draw out of it its spiritual source. And this is what the transcendent level of pleasure in our soul can do. And is meant to do. And then we have will, which is called Ratzon. And on this level, will becomes the, the bridge. It is still in the transcendent level of the soul, but it becomes the bridge to the intellect, which is the first of the imminent. So in other words, Everyone knows that sometimes we have the will to do something, but we don't have the means to carry it out. We're aware in the transcendent level of our soul that we have a purpose, we have the will to accomplish something. But as we've been talking about before, there are powers of the soul and the garments. Without the garments, the pure transcendent level of will... Remains just that transcendent so will is meant to in a sense to be drawn down a nice example of this is that in, in Kabbalah the third meal of Shabbos is called Rabin Rabin, will of wills why? it's a beautiful understanding here because the Shabbos has been building up. First the night, and then the day. And then, if you imagine Shabbos like a ladder, we're climbing a ladder. And third meal is we're really at the top of the ladder. We're at the top of the ladder. But paradoxically, right after third meal, Shabbos ends. So, third meal is called Will of Wills. In other words, we reach the transcendent level of the soul, but then we become aware that we need to draw into the weak. So the Baal Shantov once taught that it's possible to, to imagine Shabbos like a circle, where we begin Shabbos and we reach a high point, and then we kind of close the circle and we start the week again. He said that's not a good paradigm is that a good paradigm is a ladder. That we climb a ladder and we get to the top so the new week is like this. And then the next Shabbos we go up and the next week is like this. And it's an ever-turning uh, ever spiral that is elevating. And so therefore, this is a good example of will here as being the bridge is it's the high point of Shabbos and yet it becomes the bridge for the next week becomes the bridge for the next week super conscious will is above the intellect an example where the transcendent levels of the soul all of them are activated is if someone is put in the position to to do Kiddush Hashem. And a person is put in a position where they may have to, to die for their beliefs. So since an animal, and we are part animal soul, is programmed for survival, so everything in the, the goof and even the... the fairly high levels of the soul, will seek to stay alive at almost any cost. That's why, uh, except for three mitzvot, the Torah says you can transgress all the other mitzvot in order to stay alive. Uh, the Torah doesn't come before your life, except for three three mitzvot. So in other words, to, to give up your life can only be done if you, the transcendent level of your will overrides the whole rest of your being. Because the, the transcendent level of the soul, remember, is very connected to, to God. The more transcendent the level of the soul, the closer to God. And so therefore, at that level will overrides sometimes intellect or reason. But it's not anti-reason. It's not anti-intellect. It's a higher level of intellect. And that's what's called the superconscious level of will. uh, And if a man won't give a divorce to his wife, so Rambam Maimonides says you can beat him until he says rotsa because the man has to give it with free will. So Rambam says you can beat him until he says I want to. So everyone asks, wait a minute, come on, what kind of trick is this? Right, you're beating him until he says I want to. So the Rambam says no. It's actually a deep truth, as is, is, as Moshe pointed out, that really. Really, in his will of wills, his transcendent will, he wants to do the right thing. He wants to do the right thing. But he's so sunk in his ego and his yetzahara and his frustrations and whatever, he's not giving his wife a divorce. But, But Ramam is saying, but we recognize at the source, he's saying really of everyone, our transcendent level of will wants to do right wants to do good and wants to be close to God and do the right thing so this is a great example of this transcendent level of will that transcends our normative logic sometimes our normative way of operating in the world now we'll talk about intellect so then we get to the immanent powers of the soul. And the immanent powers of the soul divide between the intellect and what are called the character attributes are also called the emotions. That the immanent powers of the soul do reflect through our intellect and do reflect through our emotions. But they need a lot of purification and clarification. And so therefore we see that in the intellect there is a hidden aspect of intellect and there is a revealed aspect of intellect. And so therefore the the hidden intellect is as you see it's very it's right next to transcendent will it becomes the other side of the bridge in other words will is one side of the bridge and the hidden aspect of the intellect is the other level of the bridge this we we can relate to what it says in the the Talmud that when a fetus is in their mother's womb an angel comes and teaches them the whole Torah And then, right before birth, the angel touches the baby right here and the baby forgets everything So the obvious question is if all along the plan was to touch the fetus's lips here so that they will forget the whole Torah so why teach it in the first place? (coughs) Great question, right? So the answer and the way we can relate to it—that's the hidden level of intellect. In other words, sometimes when you learn something or experience something, it will ring true to you because there's something hidden within the soul that has already learned this, and therefore, when you learn it again, it's a uh, an affirmation of what you already know. Everyone has had this experience where you learn something or experience something and you say to yourself I knew this so that's what's called the hidden level of intellect and then there's the revealed intellect that's what we're using now hopefully (laughs) is the revealed level of intellect and then on the level of character attributes These even become uh, more imminent because our emotions are like right in our face. They're like right, they're right there. And this is called like the battleground of a person trying to uplift themselves and purify themselves. Because the closer we get to our animal nature, the more clarification is needed. And I should point out, because I've mentioned this a number of times, the idea of the animal soul. The animal soul is not a negative concept. It's not evil. It's not bad at all. It's, it's part of our nature. It just needs a lot of shining up. That's all. This needs a lot of work. But the, that, that's why we said that when we can connect physical pleasure with spiritual pleasure then we're getting to the essence of what Torah wants us to experience in life it does not want us to cut off from physical pleasure it does not want us to cut off our, our animal nature but it does want us to lift it up and unify it with our, our more uh, relatively higher levels of, of soul this is where we will get to the tenth spherot the ten divine emanations because when we're talking about character attributes, what do we mean? we mean chesed, loving kindness gevurah, strength or severity Tiferet, uh beauty, harmony integration Netza, which means victory, security orchestration Hod, which means thanksgiving, and simplicity, and sincerity, and confession. And Yisod, which is foundation, and truth, and affirmation, and loyalty. And Malchud, which is leadership, and courage, and bravery, and the ability to act in the world. So the char- our character attributes... I actually divided into two, what are called aroused and innate. Chesed, gvura and tiferet, loving kindness, strength, and discipline, and judgment, and beauty and compassion. These upper three are called aroused, because they have to do with the heart. And the other ones, netzah, hod, and yisod are called innate or behavioristic. As you sow, it is always connected to the sexual organs. And that represents a more innate behavioristic part of ourselves. I'm going to end this, this session playing some music in order to meditate upon and integrate what we've just learned. So, I'll introduce a type of visualization that we could have while we're listening to the music and I think the focus should be on first of all realizing that the vast majority of our soul is awaiting discovery is waiting for us to draw it down into not only our bodies but into our our intellect our emotions, and then into our thoughts, speech, and action. And so we should think about what part of our soul is transcendent, and if we've ever felt it before, and if so, how we can grasp onto that and work with it and develop it. And to realize that the the, the ultimate goal is to unify our powers of the soul with the garments of the soul. That our thought, speech, and action should be a vehicle, a, what's called a merkava, a chariot for the divine spark that is in our soul.